We're continuing where we left off and with the thought of the week and prayer. So we, again, it is 11-8-2020 and Dwight has the thought of the week. All right. The topic of this thought of the week is grace. Grace stands as the mediator between God's love and justice. Love has within it God's motivation to accomplish his eternal plan. Justice demands that God do so according to the highest standard of righteousness, with absolutely no possibility of compromise. We can learn a valuable lesson here from God's own internal working. Achieving goals is certainly important, but grace teaches us that how we achieve them is also essential. We must also learn to pursue our goals with the highest standard of righteousness and justice in the same way God does. Grace embodies love's highest motivation and desires while at the same time demanding that justice be completely satisfied before it is bestowed. In grace, God finds I'm sorry, in grace, God finds ways to display his love upon us without the slightest regard of compromising his integrity. Grace presents a perfect balance in what is important to God. The collaboration grace brings is perfectly seen here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things from Romans chapter 8 verse 32 <coughs> love's desire is met graciously but not without tremendous sacrifice which also satisfies divine justice grace is God's way to bring salvation and a sure method for God to ultimately accomplish his eternal purposes even though the apostle Paul felt inadequate because of his past opposition to Christ, his testimony was, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. From Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, grace is the wisdom of God. And that is the thought of the week. And I would just like to offer a brief commentary about one of the uh, topics that was brought up here. Um, many people are familiar with the verse in John 3.16. And the motivation is seen there again, and it's, it's huge. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, how is it that God can so love the world when the world was full of sin and, and rebellion against him? Actually, it was God's righteousness that he loved. And that righteousness was being made available to the world through his son. For anyone, whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that is my commentary. And now Dave will give us a prayer. Thanks, Dwight. Anyone have special prayer, prayer requests? Yeah, um, we're asking for prayer for this country uh, and 
believers all over the world. Right. Let's speak to our hair stick to the sort of great. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Give us a day, Father, that you allow us through your grace to get another day, Father. We, we have our special prayer request for our Father, the leaders that they may direct us into a, a path that you might want us to have for us, Father. But, Father, we know that we are in this world, but we don't love this world. We're not, we don't have anything to do with the world, but while we're here, Father, we ask you to protect us. So while we can continue to grow in your spirit, grace, and your divine thoughts, Father, we ask you, Father, for this Sunday to allow the word of truth to direct us and guide our path to lead us to your righteousness, Father. Father, we give you our prayers to our pastor so he can teach us his divine thoughts and your divine thoughts, Father, so we may continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you, Lord, to look over our church family, Father, and protect us, Father, while we're here. We ask you through Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Amen. Dwight, and thank you, Dave. We are Amen. We're moving forward in our, uh, our context to verse 8 today. And it says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So uh, you have notes. And in your notes, we have the reason for uh, the Father plant, planted the vineyard in, is that we would bear his fruit. The Father planned, ordained, cultivates, and provides for us to bear much fruit in this world. The plan stems from eternity past before cre the creation of all things. I hope you can see the importance of the, fa the Father invested in the church. Each one of us has a destiny that is out of this world. As we live and breathe, we have an exciting opportunity to glorify God with our lives. The Father trusted us before time began by choosing us to be in Christ, Ephesians 1.4. The question we must all answer now, do you trust the Father with your life? I hope you can see the opportunity before you to give yourself to the greatest purpose ever. Quote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself, yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That's Galatians 5 and 1. So this is where we are. <clears throat> we want to talk about the, uh, what it means. It's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be disciples, His disciples. So let's, let's talk about the first thought here, which is, this is to my Father's glory. The question then is, what is to the Father's glory? And we should answer that, this. And what is this? Is that we participate in the Father's eternal purpose by our asking. Uh, and this is just from the previous verse. Whatever you wish, 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So this is our participation in the Father's eternal purpose. I mean, it, God is not just saying, hey, I, I'm a genie and you can ask whatever you want and I'll do it. And then because I am able to do for you like that, I'm glorified. No, that's not it at all. Our asking is in accordance with us abiding in him or remaining in him and his words remaining in us. So there are certain conditions that must be hashed out before we just begin with asking anything about anything. So uh, when he says, this is to my father's God. Well, what is this? Well, this is that we bear much fruit and that we are able to participate by asking whatever we want according to the Father's will. I mean, imagine that. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. That was before the creation of the world. That happened way back then, and now, today, you are able to make decisions according to that plan, that purpose. That's big, I would say. That's huge. I mean, there's really literally no thought in this world that we could say would impact something that happened before creation, except this thought. This thought stems all the way back to before creation. Imagine that. We are making decisions according to the plan of God from eternity past. That's, that's powerful. To think that that is what you have the opportunity to do. That's something. So, what does that mean? It means that you can now take your place in the battle and follow your destiny. Uh, so, uh, according to what the scripture says, for those God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. By the way, um, if I go to Romans, <clears throat> and this is interesting that we, I'm quoting this verse because it speaks of our destiny. Why does, why does it speak of our destiny? Because this verse says, literally, that God foreknew us, he predestined us. These are all things that happened before creation. And uh, as we think about this, we're not getting into it too deep, but we just want to note that it is a part of our destiny. And why we even have a destiny is because these words are used of us. And to note, on Wednesdays, uh, we just happen to be in this verse, Romans 8.29. Next, this Wednesday coming, this is the verse we will be exploring. So, um, that he might be the firstborn. He, we're, we're of many brothers and sisters. This is a part of what God has marked out for our lives. So as we live and breathe, we could say we are making decisions according to that destiny. I mean, I mean, I could see 
a lot of people making decisions according to what they consider is an earthly destiny. I want to be a doctor. So all the things that they do, all the ways they are ordering their lives are around them becoming this doctor or we could say a lawyer or any profession uh, or a philanthropist or whatever the case may be is, is the, the thought of why people think they're here. Well, we have come to learn why we're here. And we've come to learn it in a way where God the Holy Spirit has taught us just bit by bit, inch by inch, until we come to the realization of who we are in Christ. So that we can now begin to orient to that purpose. Just like a doctor, he's going to take all the right courses, he's going to do all the right things. The, the, the books that he reads... Uh, the things that are interesting to him are all around that purpose. So when we talk about following our destiny, that's exactly how we pursue it. We, we are thinking, as the Bible says, we're transformed into his image. We're not to focus our attention on earthly things, but on things above. All those things that God has called us to and the plan and uh, what is he trying to accomplish in this world and and how is he accomplishing it? How are we involved in that? All of those are thoughts that are outside of this world. The only way you're going to be able to take your place in the battle is if you know there is a battle. You see it raging all around us. You see what God is trying to do. And we are able to take our place in the battle. We'll talk more about it on Wednesday. Uh, but for, for sure... Uh, we, we have to begin to see ourselves as those uh, Ephesians 1-4 brings out. Let's move forward. It is to our, it is, this is to my Father's glory, Jesus says. My Father's glory. Doxadzo is the Greek word. It's just, it, it, there's a lot of meaning here. And the word is used a lot of different ways. But let's look at some of the ways. I'll quickly go through it. To think, suppose, be of opinion, praise, to praise, extol, magnify, celebrate, to honor, do honor, to hold in honor, to make glorious, adorn with luster, cloth, or with splendor, to impart glory or something, render it excellent, to make renowned, Render illustrious, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest or uh, uh, and acknowledged. That comes from Thayer. That's where I uh, got that definition. And it's pretty comprehensive. And I see a lot of what glory means. And this is really not just the word glory, because the word glory is just doxa. But glorified is this word, doxazo, which, which is to say, uh, really, even though the NIV just says it is to my father's glory, but it is really to say my father is glorified in this. Either way, we can hopefully understand that I like the meanings that really pertain to what we're talking about is to praise, to extol, to magnify. Well, why is the, are we magnifying the Father? Because his plan 
is coming to fruition through us that we might bear much fruit. So we go, instead of looking at us and saying, wow, aren't we something? We look at the Father and we say, wow, that's his glorious plan. That was from the Father, through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through us, and now it is manifest in the world in 2020. Imagine that. That's how it works. Uh, so when we think about that plan, it is glorious. And we're not extolling ourselves, we're extolling the Father. We're, he's the one who's glorious, right? Not us. Uh, let's see what else in that definition. Uh, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifest and acknowledged. That's what we're doing. The Father is the one who receives glory. Why? Because it's his plan. He's the one who uh, originated uh, the idea of this plan. And then all creation is executed as a part of the plan right? for God to be able to realize what he has planned coming in to pass. That is why he is worthy of praise. Right? That's when we think about this is to my father's glory. It's because the father planned it. The son executed it. The Holy Spirit executed it. We are able to execute it. And then we see the results from it. Yeah, that, that's when the father, we can see that the father's plan is coming to uh, completion through us. Let's keep going, though, because there's a scripture that exemplifies this, and, and it's Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. So here it is. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians 1, 3. I mean, there it is. That's like glory. Praise be to the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to what it says here who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so that's profound. It didn't say he might do it. It didn't say, uh, well, he did it, but uh, you don't have it. And this is not true of you. No, this is true of you. He has already done this. You have this already. So it says, he has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spirit. He's not saying in the earthly realm, right? It's, it's, this is it's different. This is every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, how do we have that? Why is that? The next verse bears it out. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So that's how he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, in Christ. It's because he chose us in him. Well, then it speaks of our position in Christ. That's what it is. We're blessed because of our identification and position in Christ so, so that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. This is, this is what all God's doing. This is not our doing. Uh, this is before the world began. This is what God 
position this is the position that God the Father planned for us it, he's worthy of praise when we think about what he has done in Christ what his plan was what he wanted out of the plan which is to bring many sons into glory we can sit back and say praise be to God like Paul actually wrote here to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because we're in him and being in him is because we've been chosen to be in him and that is the thought so hopefully that is something we are able to thank God we, we praise him we're thanking him we're recognizing what he's done for us we can't even enter into praise to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, if we don't know what he did, or if we reject what he did. We said, no, that's not true, this whole church age thing. I don't, how can that be true? And all the, there's not a lot of people who, who see it that way. And you could say that, but this is what Paul is saying. He's literally saying that worthy of praise and glorification is God the Father. That's, him saying that. And why? He's because of what he has done. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing and all that. And how did it happen? He chose us in him. That happened before we were here. But guess what? We're here now. And it's almost like it's come full circle because now not only do we see it, that he did this for us, that he had us in mind, but now we're living and breathing on the earth. We're walking around as those who are fulfilling the very purposes of God. So, let's keep going. Point number two. So, this is to my Father's glory. Here is that you bear much fruit. We've been talking about bearing fruit a lot already. It's been in the context, so this is not something new to us. So the first thought is bearing fruit speaks of the production born through us. So we would not have any production if we did not have the filling of the Spirit. So of ourselves, we can do nothing. And I like what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, after speaking gloriously about the church, about how uh, the power that is in us, uh, that is beyond anything we can ask or imagine that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I mean, and then, uh, you know, he talks about that in Ephesians 3, but then in Ephesians 4, he says that we should be humble, walk worthy of the calling we have received. So in chapter 2, it talks about us from another perspective. It says, uh, in him, well, for as, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Without the Holy Spirit, we would not have uh, not, o not only the knowledge of uh, or salvation, but we would. He, he is the Holy Spirit that has to lead us to the, the knowledge of salvation and make it real to us. And we make a choice to believe. He not only does he save us through regeneration, causing us to be born again. But we are also baptized into Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So these are things that are 
definite, and we didn't choose to do this. This is part of the plan of God and the work of God on our behalf. We didn't, you don't believe in Christ and say, okay, now I'm ready to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. It's automatic. It happens simultaneously. I, I don't even, can't even tell you how fast it happens. It happens so fast. So you are now in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new spiritual creation. You're a new creation, period. Never mind. Uh, you, you, you're in Christ now, and you were in Adam. So it speaks about the fruit that will be born through us. I mean, there's no way we could bear fruit unless it was born through the ministry of the Spirit. We were dead in our transgressions and sins like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. We follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air who is now at work in us right? and, the, and those who are disobedient. So God saved us from that. That's what we were. And now we're able to bear fruit for the Father's plan. All of that is attributed to the work of God the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now we could say Christ did a lot of work for us. He paid for our sins and Every sin that we would ever receive was poured out on him and judged. And now God the Father is satisfied with the work of Christ. And as he judged every sin that would ever be born by us, that's tremendous. Without that work, there would be no nothing to enlighten us to. But then, after that work is done for us, man, the Holy Spirit steps in and he takes up the ball. And he is now running down the road with it. Or down the, the field. That's the analogy. So in Ephesians 5, we see some negative and positive results of the Spirit's work in our lives. So Ephesians chapter 5, and not that we haven't read these scriptures before, 18 through 20. This is positive. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now that refers to the sin nature. You could say that's negative. But the, the converse of it is, instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this is what some of the results of uh, congregational uh, filling of the Spirit. This is not just one person being filled with the Spirit. This is what would happen to all of us collectively, corporately, being filled with the Spirit. So here's what it looks like. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit teaches us, and when we think about psalms and hymns, that is a part of worship, that when we come together as a corporate body, a local body of Christ. And psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything. And this is, listen, giving thanks to the Father for everything is a part of glorifying the Father because of what he has done, what the position he has placed us in, the opportunities that he affords us in this life. It is all due to the Father's planning and execution of that plan. Giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, I mean, this literally speaks to what the Spirit is able to influence us to do, to be 
in this mindset. We would not have it were it not for the Spirit. What will we have? Well, we would be drunk on wine. Well, we would be doing things that were foolish. Right? We won't be making the most of every opportunity. I could go on, but I wanted to focus, use this verse to focus on the positive, even though corporately speaking. So then uh, Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 says it this way. So I say, uh, now <laughs> we should have the, the same thing. If we, if we read 15, it tells us what it means to be drunk with wine or how that is when we are allowing the sin nature to dominate our thinking, right? So if, we, if you bite and devour each other, watch out that you will not be destroyed by each other. And then he says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, uh, walk means to order your life or conduct your life by the Spirit, by means of the Holy Spirit. In other words, His influence over your life. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's the Holy Spirit. If you walk by His influence, you certainly will not uh, walk by the influence of the sin nature. Uh, and then it goes on to say in verse 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. So the flesh is the sin nature. It is uh, sarks, uh, the body of sin. Right? The sin nature has used the body to uh, express itself in many ways. So, it's, so it has the term flesh. Uh, so the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They, we're well, talking about the sin nature and the Holy Spirit, are in conflict with each other. And what is in conflict? The influence of the spirit and the influence of the sin nature. They are in conflict. They're not telling you to do the same thing. One's telling you to go left, and the other one's telling you to go right. Don't don't think politically here. It's, we could say up down whatever. I know we're we're in a political season now. We don't we start talking about the left and the right. People get polarized, but no, it is one is contrary to the other. So one is mutually exclusive to the other. That's the thought. Uh, so they are in conflict with each other, and so that you are not to do whatever you want. In other words, you, what really is true of you is that you are under one or the other influence. You are not just drifting along thinking, well, I'll do whatever I want. No, because really, whatever you want is probably, like it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the way. That's whatever you want. So generally, if you want to walk by means or order your life by means of the Spirit, it will be in contrary to whatever you wanted, and uh, you, will, you will certainly not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Why does it say you're not under the law? Well, the law is very particular way of life. For those who don't have the, the Spirit as a guide in their life. Like 
right now we can walk by means of the Spirit. They couldn't do that in the Old Testament. The law was in place because the Spirit wasn't given to uh, man in the way we have it. So the law was in place to help to guide those uh, human beings, those Israelites who were not, uh, to, so that it, they would know what God's will was for their lives. Unfortunately, the law was not sufficient to help guide them, but the, so, but at least they knew that they were walking outside of the will of God because it was the stated will of God. It was the written will of God. They, there was just no power in the law for them to fulfill it. So the Spirit not only tells us, influences us on, from the inside what is the way to walk, but it empowers us, it enlightens us and empowers us to walk according to truth. So it's far better than what the law had, the law, the law's leadership over people. So if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under any law because God is directly telling you what to do from the inside. Spirit, the law, is only on the outside. It can only exert outside influence on a person. Well, what was on the inside? Well, we already know what was on the inside. It wasn't good, which we already quoted from Ephesians 2. So, this is the thought. Uh, let's go back to our notes here because we don't want to get too far off track. But those two things, right, those, the negative experiences, uh, and then in, in Galatians, we also have the positive experiences in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law, right? The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding you in those ways. If you walk in that, if you allow your, yourself to be ordered according to those things, the influence there, then there is no guidance that is needed by the law externally, because God is guiding you on internally. So that's the thought. Right? People are trying to go back to the Galatians. We're trying to go back to the law for guidance, to be circumcised and other things that were in the law. And they were looking for guidance from the law when the Holy Spirit was there. And we don't have to be circumcised now. And on and on, Paul is using some analogies for them to understand. Let's move on. So, I'm at point 2B. Bearing fruit is taking your place in the battle. That's to bear fruit. You have to be able to see God's plan, right? what the Father wanted. We can't say we're bearing fruit because we're moral, just because we we keep the law, right, or, or something. Like that, if that's not what the Father's plan is, then you can't be bearing fruit unto it. it you have to avail yourself of the assets that the Father provides for us to bear fruit. Right? And that would be, number one, the Holy Spirit. And we talk about the five ministries that the Holy Spirit brings to our life, right? When there's the baptism of the Spirit, there's the filling of the Spirit, which we're talking about in particular, the indwelling of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, the sealing ministry of the Spirit, right? Those assets are brought to our life. Those are the things that we ought to focus on 
in order to bear fruit, right? To understand what God has given us so that we can act accordingly. So there's 2 Corinthians 10. We, hopefully I'll run through these quick, but we haven't read these in a while. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, I believe. So 3 says, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. Right, so we're in a battle, but it's not the, quite the same kind of battle as the world, or as the previous verse says, that we, some people think we live by the standards of this world, and we don't. We don't behave uh, by the standards of this world. We have a different standard. Uh, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, verse 4, are not the weapons of the world. And we could look at that by saying that the way we conduct ourselves in the world is not the way the world does. We have a, we, we have a different way of fighting, and we don't fight, fight against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. So we don't fight like the world fights. And our warfare has, where it says here, uh, the ability uh, to have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, and it explains what that is. We demolish arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's all internal working. It's not external, internal, right? Arguments, every pretension that sets itself up, doctrines of demons that may be leveled against us, the fiery darts of, of the evil one, right? That's in Ephesians passage. So these are not things that are like bombs and weapons. And So what our fight is, what God has called us to, is not to just the position that he put us in, but also that we are to serve on the battlefield, that, he, that we can participate by bearing much fruit. This is, this is part of how we bear fruit. This is, should be our focus on how to live and, and in this world. So regardless of what country you're from or whatever, where you happen to find yourself in the world, this is your calling right here. Is the weapons we have, how we fight, what we do while we're here, this is, should be the, the thought. Right? This is how we wage war. So then there's uh, Ephesians chapter 6. And we're not going to read the whole thing, but just 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So you have to grow up in order to be strong. Right? Uh, the strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak later, it says. What is that to say? The strong have more knowledge. We're not talking about physically strong right? or overpowering personality. It's talking about strong in the Lord. That means you, your mind has been transformed into his image. That's what it means to be strong. It means you 
have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? That's the Father's plan. So in his mighty power, the power from the Lord is the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking experiential. We're not talking positional here. We're not talking about what God has done for you already. We're talking about what you can do for God. You can allow God to use you, to build you up in his thinking, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. All of that, we need your assent. We need your uh, acquiescence to be able to say to the Spirit, I'm, I'm going to allow myself to be influenced by you, not me. Uh, what I think is bad, or what I think comes from my experience of what I think comes from Adam, but I'm going to allow myself to be built up, be strong in the, in the way of the Lord, right? not, not in my own ways. So verse 11, put on the full armor of God. So the full armor of God means the assets that have been provided for us in this age. It's not just, well, we got to be good. We got to keep the law. We got to be like Joshua, right? We got to be like Moses. We got to be like so-and-so. No, we have to put on the full armor of God for our particular age. They needed to put the full armor of God on for their age. And whatever assets were provided them, that is what they were to avail themselves of. Well, for us, that is not who we are. So God has given us different assets. And we even fight on a different plane than they do. They don't fight against flesh and blood. They did fight against flesh and blood. And they did have an army. They had, they had to go out and kill the enemy. Literally, there was blood, much blood in Israel. But now, that is not our struggle. God is not called. We're not called to go out and pick up arms and go fight people with, with, you know, and shed blood. That is not our calling. We are called here. Our struggle, and it says it right here in the next verse. well, first, it says to put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. You can't stand against the devil's schemes with weapons like M16s and Glocks and 9 millimeters and all these things. You can't stand against the devil's schemes with those. Those require thinking skills that come from the influence of the Holy Spirit. So put on the full armor of God. That you could take your stand against those things. Verse 12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's not what we have been called to. Israel was, just to note. We are not. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms there's your battle. If you want to go fight, here it is. Here's what you ought to be focused on. That's what God says. So point C, not only has the Father called many sons into glory, we read that last week, Hebrews 2, 10 and 11, but he has also, he has given us the opportunity and privilege to bear much fruit in time. That's, that's a privilege. That's an opportunity. So Moses, 
Daniel, all those people could not do this because they did not have what we have. This is the plan of God to bring many sons into glory. This is this was hidden from them. Now, we have to say that if Moses and Elijah and all those people were born in this time, what would they do? You could ask those questions. I could probably say from their motivation and the dedication to God and the plan that they were in, they were heroes. They did what God said. Not every single thing. I mean, not that they didn't have any variants. Sure they did. But when we look at their lives, we could see that they were dedicated. They loved God. And so if they would have been in our age, oh, I'm sure that they would be just like the Apostle Paul or one of the apostles. Yeah, they, they would have been definitely standing out in our age as well. But they're not in our age. And they don't have the assets we have. And they don't have the privilege that we have. They are, God did not choose them in Christ to be in Christ before the creation of the world. He chose us. So we have to see that as privilege, not as, as exclusivity. Like we're better than them, but God put these things in us by grace. It is, he called us to this. Now, the opportunity that we're talking about, the opportunity is about us executing the plan, meaning allowing the fruit to be born through us. He's called many sons into glory. This is the period. So we've talked about this, and hopefully it swells up as a hope for you. Point D, such an important plan, which involves all creation, we are allowed to participate by aligning our will with his will, Philippians 2.13 for, uh, like it's, I think I want to turn to it, Philippians 2, we're willing to do his good pleasure. So 2.13, for it is God who works in you. See, this is why I was saying before, don't look at us as uh, that we have our own will in this matter. Okay? Uh, we are influenced by one will or the other. And that is one, the sin nature, or we are walking in truth. There's no middle ground for us. We are not uh, capable of standing on a middle ground with those two strong influences at work. So we are either walking in truth, or we are allowing the sin nature to influence our thinking. And if you walk by means of the Spirit, you will definitely not fulfill the lusts or desires of the flesh. So <coughs> this is true of us. And then uh, we were in Galatians uh, in the last verse. I don't even think I finished this one. God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. There it all is right there. That is God the Holy Spirit working in us to will, to want, and to act, to execute, to empower. He empowers us to walk in truth in order to fulfill his good purpose. Well, the Holy Spirit isn't just walking in us just, just to be walking and telling us to do moral things. The Holy Spirit is there so because that reaches all the way back to our calling, right? And the purpose for why we're here in the first place. How we are to glorify God the Father. 
right? By doing the things that are about his plan. Not just doing anything, doing specifically the bearing the fruit that he planted. So hopefully we've gone over that a lot. And Galatians 5.25 says, the, I think we covered this, since we live by the Spirit, and there it is, here it is, we conduct ourselves in the manner of the Spirit's influence. We allow this age to dominate our thinking, the thoughts that come from heaven, right? The, the, the things that are going on there where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and we are positionally seated in him. Right? We live by means of the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. So, Listen, the Spirit is taking you somewhere. <clears throat> this is not a pool of stagnant information. This thing is living. Right? And the Spirit continues to lead and guide us into all truth. Oh, it's extremely uh, interesting when we think about the information that is given to us that I have not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. This is the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. There is much to think about. First of all, we need to have our minds transformed because the only thing on our minds are, are the things of this world. That has to go, or just like it says, stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. That has to go. And we have to begin to think about what God has called us to from eternity past. So moving forward, all creation, as I said, that's point D. All creation is involved and we have to participate by aligning our will with his will. And that's really, that's all that's called of us. God is not saying, I want you to invent something. I'm not saying that you have to come up with something. This has all been provided for us. All we have to do is align our will with his. And then we are rewarded for allowing God to use our presence here in time. That's mutual possession, right? Mutual possession is Christ in us and us in Christ, right? Christ in us means we are giving access for our lives in this world, the impact of our lives in this world. We're giving that over to Christ. He is going to be the one who walks in us and, and whose mind we live. It's not our dreams, not our ambitions. It's not our goals. It's his. And what are his? Well, that's the Father's plan. That's how we function in this world. It is, that's the life of Christ. That's the mutual possession. That's why Christ said, the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Well, what does that mean? That means the presence that Christ had in this life, in his world, in, in the life of Christ. Christ gave that up to the Father. That's why he says, All thing, everything that I have belongs to the Father. Well, what do you have, Christ? You have the actual presence of of your life in this world. The impact of that. Christ could have said, well, I'm going to run for Sanhedrin. I think I want to be a Pharisee. I think I want to go over here. No, Christ says, no, I am here to do the will of him who sent me. That's what I'm here to do. And that was a decision Christ made. He understood his, his role. He grew into the understanding of his destiny. And he 
allow the Father to fully possess him in this world. And the Father literally was in him and was able to exert his influence in Christ. And then Christ says, everything that the Father has belongs to me. So we covered this, but I just wanted to make sure uh, you, you understand how that works. And if we allow that, if we give up our lives so that he can live in us, then we are rewarded for that. that on top of all that, God says, I will reward you for, for allowing that to happen. So it's not just positionally, because we have glory from him choosing us in Christ, but experientially we will have glory because Christ will be manifest in our life. Like Paul said, for me to live is Christ. That's, we will be rewarded for our allowing Christ to live in our lives. Point F, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in all truth. We have to allow it, right? We could say, well, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. Well, he's not going to make you walk in all truth. He's not going to make you go down that road. You have to allow it. And that's easy. That's an easy statement to, for us to see whether people are or not, because you could look around the world, the Christian world, and you could see who is out there about the Father's business and who is not. I don't have to call out people or organizations. Or, I could just say, well, do I hear the Father's plan being... Uh, is, is it a common thing in this world? The answer has to be no to that. The Holy Spirit's not failing in leading and guiding people into all truth, but I think the failure will be on our part because we don't want to be led into all truth. There was that controversy in the early church. People were saying, no, I want to go, I want to be led by Israel and not by the power of the Spirit. Let's keep going. So, uh, back to our notes. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. And what is that? Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, a disciple, disciple, a disciple is by strong a learner, that is, a pupil. Now, one of the things I thought about right, uh, when I think about a disciple, he's a student, somebody who's a pupil, like, you know, somebody who learns. You have to have humility if you're a disciple of Christ. That is the most important thing here. Um, it has, if you don't, if you're a, you're a student without humility, what can you learn? Humility says, I'm open. Teach me. So Christ says, unless you become like a child, you will know in no wise enter into the kingdom, right? You can't even see the kingdom unless you uh, have humility. You have to allow the thought that you don't know everything and that you want to learn. If you don't have that spirit of humility, you will not learn anything. And that is important. Jesus is saying, that you bear much fruit, and you are showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the disciple is not just a student. It's not just somebody who is a, a learner. That's literal. But to be all of that, you have to bring humility. That means you don't know everything and you're going to learn something. So point B, showing yourselves. 
you demonstrate, you show that you are students of the Father by bearing fruit from the Father. How, how can that be seen? How can the impact of the fruit in this world be seen through you? Well, only that you bear it. If you are not bearing it, well, it shows. Uh, we talked about wood, hay, stubble, thorns and thistles, right? sticker bushes. If that's what you're bearing, obviously the world will be able to see that. But if you're bearing the fruit of the Father, well, that brings glory to the Father because that is His plan. Glory, glory and praise to the Father. By How do we demonstrate that? By bearing the fruit that comes from His plan. Point C, the Father is glorified when He sees the fruit born. Just as a teacher is proud when their student demonstrates the knowledge and wisdom learned. It's, it's some example of it, a lesser to a much lesser degree. We talk about a teacher and a student, but essentially we have the Father having a plan and He is employed it would exist in Christ and we have the Holy Spirit who would make it clear to us. We also are given pastor teachers right, to lay it down for us, to help us come to the knowledge of the truth, that we can grow in grace. So all of this is the Father's plan and He's glorified by that, just as a teacher is glorified when that student begins to demonstrate wisdom and knowledge. Not just any wisdom and knowledge, but wisdom and knowledge that was learned through that teacher. Not just any fruit, but the fruit that the Father himself planted. Right? That he, This is what he, uh, his plan was for the, the entire creation. This is why he created things in the first place. When he sees that fruit, the Father is glorified by that. Point D, the, the disciples, did they demonstrate this fruit? We could ask that question. Is the Father glorified? Because he's talking to the disciples, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Did they do it? I could ask that question. I'm authorized. <laughs> Here's the scripture. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you, about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. That's Jude 1.3. So by the time Jude wrote this, there was already the faith. The faith is not just, well, the believing, but it is the body of truth. It is what is believed, faith in its passive sense focuses on not just the fact of believing, but what does that believing grab and hold on to? And, and that is the body of truth, the, the word that belongs to this particular age, right? the mystery, the information that was hidden from ages and past generations and is now revealed to God's holy apostles and prophets. It is that information that was hid in God that now we have. But now, Jude is saying, it is characterized as the body of truth. And he says, I'd love to talk to you about salvation. That's important. 
But I also want to talk to you about how people are trying to belittle and deny this information that we have called the mystery. So we have to fight for it. We can't let it slip. We, we got to contend for it. It's important that we uphold it. They laid it down. It was once for all entrusted to the saints. How did that get laid down? It was, uh, it was by those who are in the foundation. That's how God, God gave it to us. And what's the foundation? It goes to point E. The disciples, they were part of the foundation, plus the Apostle Paul. Paul replaced Judas, Iscariot, who was the betrayer. And here we have the Apostle Paul. And that is the foundation. He's the, the twelfth apostle. And so the Ephesians 2.20 says it. Uh, let's read Ephesians 2.20 just to make sure we get it right. Ephesians 2.20. It says that, well, we've got to read 2.19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers foreigners and strangers, you're talking about Gentiles, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household and built on the foundation of, a. here's the foundation of the church, apostles and prophets. Now the apostles are uh, the disciples that Jesus was talking to plus the apostle Paul. They became part of the foundation of the church. Apostles and prophets. Now, God also brought forth prophets, and he's not talking about Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, because he wants to lay down new revelation. He brings prophets. Whenever he got new information to be uh, uh, espoused, he brings forth prophets because he got something to say. So apostles, so some of the apostles also held offices, the office of prophet, but God also brought New Testament prophets as well to, so that the mystery information could be disseminated. And then, of course, we couldn't leave out Christ. It, it says, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So all of this hinges on who Christ is. And none of this can exist without Christ himself. He is a part of the foundation of the church. I mean, all of this, as we're going to see in Christ, the whole building, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, verse 22, you are also being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So it's in Christ all of this exists. So obviously he's a part of the foundation of the church. So that is what we have to reckon with, right? This is the faith, the body of truth that has been trusted to us. And how do we get it? From the foundation. They're the ones who hashed it out. Paul even said in Ephesians 3, 2, uh, well, I'll turn to it since I'm already right there in Ephesians. Three two. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace, which is given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Notice, by revelation. God revealed it to Paul. He was also a prophet. 
as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. There you got. He didn't just say only to me. He's, it's been revealed. It's been revealed. I can't talk today. It's been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And th- there it is again, right there. It's important that we see this as a body of information. It's not just random things that we pull from the Old Testament and some things that we pull from Revelation and now we got a hodgepodge of things that we believe. No, this information, as Paul says, was hidden. Jude says, we earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And we know how it was delivered by God's holy people. It's entrusted to us. The, the, the holy represents the ones that we're set apart unto God for his special purposes. And it was delivered through the foundation that we now have that is firm. And I'd like to think that, and listen, I, I've thought the foundation is the basics. But here, the foundation encompasses the whole thing of, uh, of the church. Now, for us to break it up into, oh, okay, we need to learn the foundations, we need the milk of the word, all that's true. But see this as the foundation of our understanding. It was built on the foundation of apostles, prophets, and Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So, point F, and we're closing, in our generation, how are we demonstrating that we are students learning with humility? How can we demonstrate that we are just like the disciples? How can we show that we are those who are students learning the new plan with humility? There are some ways. I have four things here. First, we cannot improve on our salvation or our position in Christ. We have to see that. We already quoted Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. It's all positional. He has already blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right? That's not you can't improve on that. You can't improve on salvation either. For by for by grace are you saved through faith. This is not from yourself, it's a gift of God. It's through faith. Faith is not from you. Faith means that you look away from you to Christ as the Savior. So we can't improve on salvation. Once you have it, well, it doesn't doesn't get better. Right? You, you can't say, well, I'm, my salvation is better because I've studied. My salvation is better because I've done good works. No, your salvation is done. It is complete. You can't improve on it. It doesn't get better because you behave or don't behave. It's not of works. It's of God. Or our position in Christ. You, it doesn't get any better. You are raised up with him and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the bottom line. Now, what can happen? Well, that's, you don't bear fruit because of that, per se. That's ex- bearing fruit is experience. So we cannot improve on salvation or our position in Christ. But point two, we can, as students with humility, 
learn the mystery plan of God. So it takes time for us, right? It takes a choice for us to have humility to learn something, to be led into all truth. We can, and when we say the mystery plan, we're not just saying anything. We're not just learning to be moral. We're learning the mystery plan of God. And that's the importance of our generation, how we can show ourselves. And this brings glory to the Father. We can learn the mystery. And then three, we can live a life worthy of the calling we have received. That involves walking, allowing the Holy Spirit, ordering our lives according to His influence in our life. And listen, the Holy Spirit is not going to be leading and guiding us to do things or to, to focus on a plan that is not according to our age, like what is happening in this age. He's going to be leading and guiding us unto the Father's eternal purpose for us. So we can live a life worthy of that or unworthy. Unworthy would mean that uh, we really are not uh, following the mystery. And if you look at the early church, you could see there was a division. There were some who wanted to go back to the Mosaic Law and some who thought that those things ought, ought to be imposed on Gentiles. That is not the plan of God for us. We can accept our role, point number four. Right? And what does that mean? Is we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, if we are telling people to be reconciled to God in this age, then anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. We are ambassadors of reconciliation, but what does that reconciliation bring? It brings about the mystery. Christ in us and us in Christ. Right, so this is, this is our role. Now, what can we do to bear fruit? We can follow. There's two things, really. We can walk worthy of the calling we have received, and we can accept our role by being ambassadors of Christ. Right? This is what God would have us do in this world. Now, all of that requires that we grow up. And we talked about going out to battle, standing our ground, right? and being strong in the Lord. Right? All of that requires that we grow up in Him, that we be transformed, having the mind of Christ in this world. So all of that these are ways that we can demonstrate that we are his disciples, just like they did. But they did a good job because we're here. Now, even though we're here, and we would love to see a lot more people here with this mindset, but the fact that we are here says that the disciples who became apostles laid down the information that even 2,000 years later, we are able to follow it. I'd say they did a good job. They did their job. They showed themselves to be his disciples. Let's close as we uh, think about these things. Next week, we'll continue with uh, verse 9. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the privilege of calling that we've been called from eternity past, before the world began. 
And we thank you for choosing us. We didn't know anything. We didn't ask anything. All we know is we showed up in 2020 where we understand these things. We see what your work has, uh, what has gone into uh, to, in order to bring us to this point. So we pray that we can live a life that's worthy of it, that we live a life that is recognizing the work you have done on our behalf. So we thank you for those who are here, those who have joined in to this Bible <coughs> study, and we pray for wisdom going forward for all those who are online and that we can continue to grow in grace. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.